0: Good evening, everyone. I'm Judy Cooper, the coordinator of public programs, and I'm delighted to see all of you here this evening. I want to say thank you to the volunteers from Hearing and Speech Agency who are here uh, providing interpretation for the um, hearing impaired, and also to the Ivy Bookshop who has um, copies of Lucia's book for sale this evening. Publishers Weekly has called it gripping. The Minneapolis Star Tribune called it courageous, and finely crafted. Those are the words used to describe Lucia Greenhouse's new memoir, Father, Mother, God, My Journey Out of Christian Science. It's the story of a family consumed and destroyed by one of America's least understood and most secretive religions. In many ways, uh, Lucia and her siblings lived an upper-middle-class, all-American life in Minneapolis, they were surrounded by a large extended family, but the nu- their nuclear family was different, and different from the other members of the family. And I'm going to stop there because I don't want to um, steal Lucia's thunder and I'll let her um, tell you about her family story. Um, I, I've read the book, and it's one of those books that you have to stay up all night reading. it's really really compelling and gripping and so I highly recommend that if you haven't read it that you buy one tonight and um, take it home and read it. And Lucia, we're really delighted to have you here in Baltimore in the Pratt and I thank all of your relatives and friends who um, persuaded you to come to Baltimore. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Judy, for um, that wonderful welcome. I'd like to thank Enoch Pratt Library for inviting me here today. Um, I feel this is such an honor to be here. There are a few other people I'd like to thank before I um, speak a little bit about my book. Um, I'm going to speak, give a little bit of background on Christian science and on my family, and then I'm going to do an excerpt. I'm going to read an excerpt from my book, and then I'll uh, open the floor to any questions. I'd like to thank... um, Bob Hillman and Allison Buchhalter for um, making this event happen. Um, Bob is a member of the board, and Allison, his daughter, is a good friend of my sister in law, Melissa Greenhouse. Um, I'd like to thank the Ivy Bookstore, too, um, for being here tonight to sell the books. Um, and I'd like to just make a plug for libraries and independent bookstores in general because, um, you know, in this age of the internet, we are so lucky to be interconnected the way we are, but um, what sometimes gets lost is the the human live interaction, and libraries and, and independent bookstores provide a forum for discussion and debate and um, a sense of community that the internet just cannot do, So, um, so support your local independent bookstores and your libraries. I'd like to also just take a moment to thank my publisher, Crown, my editor, Sydney Minor, my publicist, um, February Partners, and my agent, all, uh, Kim Witherspoon, who all have made this possible. It's really um, a dream come true for me. This is a book that's been um, over two decades in the works, and my now 15-year-old boy, when he was in fifth grade, reminded me or pointed out to me that... Um, my writing pace was about eight words a day. <laughs> so uh, in in my defense, it wasn't really eight words a day. There were several drafts and, and several babies in between. So the book was put on the back burner a lot. Um, finally, I'd like to thank my sister-in-law and uh, Melissa Greenhouse and her husband, Rich Deller, for um, making this all happen, too. And also, by extension, uh, my family members and close friends who were not here um, when I made the decision to go ahead and tell this story, I did it at my own readiness, and it was after much um, much worry and fear. And it, uh, while I was ready to do it and I decided I was ready to do it, my family was not afforded the same um, privilege. And yet um, they have stood behind behind me and beside me in this process. And in any um, family crisis, um, it brings out the best and the worst in people. And despite that, my family, um, they read the book in advance, and they they understood why it was imp- so important for me to tell the story. So I was raised in a devout Christian science household. Um, And for any of you who are here tonight because you think I'm going to talk about Scientology, (laughs) I'm not. Scientology is the church of Tom Cruise and uh, John Travolta. And Christian science um, is a lot less known and understood, but probably its most prominent living Christian scientist is is Henry Paulson. And it's probably its most prominent uh, former Christian scientist is Ellen DeGeneres. Um, just as a, I want to, I want to give a few, like four points about Christian Science before I I give you some background on my family, um, and I am by no means um, giving a, a comprehensive view of the theology of Christian Science. That's beyond the scope of the talk, but um, Christian Science was founded towards the end of the 19th century by a woman named Mary Baker Eddy, who lived in um, New England, and. Um, she In 1866, she slipped on a piece of ice and uh, sustained a serious injury to her back and was bedridden. And over the course of uh, a few days, she uh, took to reading her Bible and uh, prayed and had a miraculous healing. As a result of this, she um, started writing her thoughts about how this healing came about. And over the course of the next eight years, um, she wrote what was to become Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, which is the uh, Christian Science textbook. Originally, she thought that her views on Christian healing would be embraced by mainstream Christian um, churches, um, because her discovery of Christian science was what she felt was, in essence, the rediscovery of the um, healing practices, practices of the early Christians. And when mainstream Christian churches did not embrace her views, she started her own church. Um, central to the practice of Christian science is the radical reliance on prayer over medicine for one's um, med- physical and medical needs. Um, what this means in practice is that um, if you are a devout Christian scientist, you don't have medicine in your medicine cabinet. Uh, you won't go have annual physicals um, or get vaccinated. Um, and for my family, um, this is in fact how we lived. Um, and probably, probably the best way for me to describe um, the theology in action was uh, is to give you an idea of um, what happened when I got chickenpox as a as a young girl. Um, I was eight years old, and um, I got chicken pox right on the heels of my sister's bout, uh, even though, according to Christian Science theology, there is no such thing as contagion. and uh, when i when I woke up one morning feeling sort of achy and and uncomfortable and not not very good, i I called to my mother and I said, Mom, I don't feel well." And she said, um, "Well let's call the practitioner." And uh, we prayed. And we read from the Bible in Science and health and um, and I was told that the spots on my hands and my torso uh, were not real that um, and Christian scientists believe that the material world in fact and and, and, and sickness in, in specific is not real uh, that it's the outward manifestation of uh, incorrect thinking so uh, so I what what I was told was that these spots were um, an illusion, much the same way as a mirage is the, the appearance of water on the edge of the desert, where there's nothing but sand. So to my eight-year-old thinking, that kind of made sense. And I thought, well, um, if the spots are an illusion, then uh, maybe the itching is an illusion too. And um, and so I, I prayed, and my parents read from the Bible in Science and Health, We recited something called the scientific statement of being. I I won't recite the entire thing, although I I could if you want me to later. The first line goes like this. There is no life, truth, intelligence, or substance in matter. Uh, So after a few days, the spots crested over and they started to go away. And I thought I did a really wonderful job of uh, healing myself using Christian science. In fact, I, I sort of thought I did a better job than my sister Sibling rivalry in uh, in action um, because uh, I had fewer spots to begin with, which meant to me that um, that I was really understanding my God-given perfection, maybe even better than my sister was. So um, while Christian Science was really um, something, it was all I knew growing up. Um, it was a constant in my life. Um, there's a backstory to my story, which is that my parents actually converted to the faith uh, before I have any, had any active memory. Um, and in my mother's case, this was a dramatic departure from her upbringing. She was raised um, in the Lutheran church, but more importantly, um, her father was a doctor, her mother had been a registered nurse, and her brother was a plastic surgeon. My father um, was uh, raised as an Episcopalian. He had had some exposure to the Christian Science Church when he w- was a child um, during the war. His mother took him to a Sunday school because he was um, having some bad recurring nightmares, and she felt that the church, the Sunday school would give him some comfort. And in fact, it did. Um, there, there's one aspect of, of Christian Science that I need to talk about um, that's a, a really salient... Point, and that is a, a, a concept known as mental malpractice. Mental malpractice is the notion that one person 's negative thinking can in ad, uh, can adversely affect another person 's health and well being, uh, which means that um, Christian scientists believe that one person 's thoughts can make another person sick, and uh, this uh, means in in practice, that when a Christian scientist becomes sick, one of the first priorities is to establish a loving, supportive environment conducive to Christian science healing. Um, It also means shutting out anybody who has thoughts that are uh, maybe contrary to Christian science. My family was very, very lucky um, when I was growing up in that we never had any major illnesses or injuries. Um, we never had uh, trips to the emergency room. And I, I actually look back on that, and I'm, I'm amazed because I have four children of my own now, and um, our pediatrician could install a revolving door for us. <laughs> we, we are there, like, weekly. Um, but for, for my family, we had no major illnesses or injuries. The same cannot be said for many, many Christian science families. And um, since my book has come out, I've heard from people who are now just beginning to share their stories I've heard from parents who lost their daughter, their 12 year old daughter, to appendicitis. I've heard from um, siblings who lost their, their siblings to meningitis, bowel obstructions, diabetes. In less extreme cases, I've heard of, um, of unnecessary pain from strep throat, chronic ear infections that have gone untreated and have led to permanent hear lo- hearing loss. Um, but in my own case, we really never had any of these experiences. Our luck changed, however, in, in December of 1985. By this point, my brother and sister and I were young adults. Um, I had recently graduated from Brown University. My sister had was three years out of college and recently married, and my brother was a senior at Columbia. And we came home Christmas Eve and discovered that everything was... Something was terribly wrong at home. Our mother had been sick for quite some time, and because of this notion of mental malpractice, we'd been uh, told nothing. By this point, my mother and father were um, very, very involved in the church. My father was a journalisted Christian science practitioner, which means that he was a healer authorized by the church, and he um, was also a teacher, which meant that he was authorized by the Mother Church to church to train others in um, the practice of Christian science healing. Uh, my sister and brother and I, though, um, were now um, young adults, and we had each disavowed the faith. So this Christmas Eve, we came home, and we discovered that we were probably facing our worst nightmare. Our mother was very sick. She would never likely see a doctor. Um, my father was a, a practitioner and teacher, which added a certain level of um, pressure to the situation and on top of that, we understood that it would be our uh, we would be expected to carry on a charade of normalcy with our extended family and in particular my mother's family um, to protect my parents' um, decision in particular my mother's decision to um, to uh, to rely on prayer instead of medicine for um, getting better. Um, I'm going to now, well actually before I do that, in December of, I'm sorry, in January of 1986, this was about two weeks after um, we were home for Christmas. It was the day after the space shuttle blew up and I got a call at work from my father saying that he was gonna take my mother to 10 Acre Foundation which is a Christian science care facility in Princeton, New Jersey. And she spent the better part of the next seven months there. The part I'm going to read to you from Father, Mother, God um, takes place about four months later. Um, As my mother gets sicker and sicker, we are allowed to see her less and less because um, we are viewed as part of the problem. Our attempts to try to get her to um, seek medical care are um, rejected. And my brother and sister and I decide that uh, my brother and I, who are living in New York, should go pay a visit to my mother's practitioner. And so I'm going to read to you from that visit. My mother's practitioner's office is in an office building right across from Grand Central Station, and so we go into the building and go up to the floor that she's on, and we approach her door, and her door says, Helen Childs, CSB. We know from the initials on the door that she is not only a Christian science practitioner, but also a teacher, like Dad. I wonder if my father has ever had meetings like the one we are about to have. Sherman knocks on the door, and we wait. A woman appears. She has silver-white hair, and there is a noticeable smell of hairspray. She's wearing a light blue wool dress and matching jacket, and a long strand of pearls. She has the pronounced crow's feet and sparkly eyes of an optimist. Come in, she says, motioning us through a waiting area. I set my umbrella down on the floor beside an end table where I see the current issue of the Christian Science Monitor, a Christian Science Journal, and a stack of Sentinels. On the wall hangs a portrait of Mary Baker Eddy. Sherman and I take seats in the two armchairs that face Mrs. Child's desk. She closes the door. On her desk are the two volumes, a King James Version of the Bible and a copy of Science and Health. Now, Mrs. Child says, sitting down behind the desk, folding her arms in front of her. Her eyes may be twinkling, but she is not smiling. I look to Sherman, and he looks back at me. He is not going to do the talking, not at first anyway. I shift in my chair, but I can't find a comfortable position. Leaning back, I feel small and vulnerable, but sitting up straight with my hands folded in my lap feels awkward, too. I settle on crossed legs and squared shoulders. Thank you for meeting with us, I begin. We wanted to talk to you about our mother. Mrs. Child says nothing. She's been at Tenacre for a while now, I say. There's a lengthy silence. She's been sick for a long time, Sherman says. Nothing. Our mom has been at Ten Acre for 78 days, I say, impatiently now, and immediately regret. Christian scientists deny, or try to deny, commemorations of the passage of time. Pointing out the running count of days, like it's tally marked on a cell wall, isn't going to endear me to her. Not all healings are instantaneous, Mrs. Childs finally says. Sometimes the demonstration is slower to unfold. But your mother's understanding of the truth is deepening every day. What your mother needs right now is your unwavering support. She knows we're behind her, I say defensively. We're concerned, Sherman says, that her family doesn't know. Mrs. Childs looks at me and then at Sherman. I'm thinking, maybe she agrees it's time to tell them about mom. Maybe this is a good sign. "'Why does this concern you?' she asks. "'I am not sure I've heard her correctly. "'I am speechless. Mom's health is deteriorating. "'We are deceiving her family, "'and Mrs. Childs asks why this concerns us. Mom's, "'Mom comes from a medical family,' Sherman finally says. "'She and Dad converted. "'Her father was a doctor. Her mother was a nurse. "'Her brother is a surgeon.' we understand mom's we understand mom's desire to keep quiet about her problem to protect the healing process from mental malpractice but it's been i understand your position and unfortunately mrs child says taking a deep breath it's one that arises when the patient is not surrounded by the love and support of family members who are scientists i will tell you this i have 3 children only one is a christian scientist If I were working out a problem, I would probably share it with my daughter, because I know there would be harmonious, prayerful support. But my other two are not at all sympathetic. I would not tell them. Mrs. Childs, Sherman asks, what if hypothetically your condition worsened? Don't you think your other children would want to know? Don't you think they have a right to know, being family and all? No, absolutely not. That would not be in accordance with my wishes, with my religious needs. Well, what about your Christian scientist daughter? What if she felt uncomfortable with the ongoing secrecy, Sherman presses, even if she shared your religious views? She would understand that it's not a matter of secrecy, but of loving protection. Now, Mrs. Child says, leaning forward, talking just louder than a whisper. I happen to know that it upsets your mother a great deal that not one of you is reading the Bible lesson or attending church. These are two seemingly small but very significant ways you can demonstrate your love and support. By doing so, you might better understand why your prayerful encouragement is so important, and you may be surprised by the results. I have no doubt that you will gain a clearer vision of the efficacy of science." I'm done with polite. Mrs. Childs, I'm not a Christian scientist. I'm not going to pretend to you that I am. And I won't listen to you insinuate that mom's condition has anything to do with my beliefs being different than hers. My heart is pounding. There's an intense, charged silence while this woman and I stare each other down. I look away. What I have just told her places me squarely in the camp of the enemy the non-believer, and puts the increasingly tenuous connection between mom and me in jeopardy. Unbelievably, I hear a small voice in my head saying, what harm would it do? Read the lesson. Go to church. I haven't read the lesson since I was 16. A much louder voice is saying, no, this is all wrong. I guess I don't understand the point of all this, I confess, shaking my head. What's wrong with trying medicine? Maybe mom's condition requires a minor operation, or some pills. I see, Mrs. Child says, let me try to explain. Her voice is too sweet. Mrs. Eddy teaches us that every illness is mentally conceived. By treating the material manifestation of a problem, you are really only dealing with the symptom, not the root cause. If your mother goes to a doctor, and we'll assume for now that the treatment of this foreign growth is seemingly effective, she will still have to overcome the real problem. A chill runs through me. What does this woman know about mom's condition? What has she witnessed that has led her to this conclusion? And what root cause could be any more serious than a foreign growth? What the hell is she talking about? Our mother isn't even 50, I blurt out. If she were to go to the doctor and be treated with medicine, she could have another thirty, forty years to deal with the, the spiritual problem. I said before, let's assume that your mother can be effectively treated by medicine, Mrs. Child says, perfectly composed. Yes, I prod. But can either of you, Lucia, Sherman, Think of a single case of cancer which has really been cured by medicine? Jesus Christ, I feel like I've been punched in the gut. A lot of people are treated by radiation and chemotherapy, and surgery, I say eventually. I look to Sherman, who nods in agreement, but he is ashen. But can you name a single case in which the cancer was cured? She asks me again. "'Can you?' she looks to Sherman. "'His lip quivers and I'm about to cry. "'I pull a Kleenex from my bag "'and wipe the outer corner of each eye. "'This is unbelievable. "'There, there,' the practitioner says. "'I wonder how anyone can say anything as trite "'as there, there at a time like this. "'I refuse to yield to tears. "'We all have to know that your mother "'is going to get her healing.' that divine love will triumph over error. That ends the, the appointment. Sherman and I leave the building in silence and cross the street. The rain is still coming down hard. We descend into the subway at Grand Central and are about to say goodbye when Sherman says, Ronald Reagan for one. Of course, thousands of people recover from cancer every year, but in the practitioner's office, We could not come up with one. I'd be happy to take any questions. Yes? Um, If I, I'm going to try to repeat the question. It's a long one, but um, I think it was two parts. One is, does Christian science um, make a distinction between the material and the spiritual world? And what um, does it have to say about Jesus other than his role as a healer? Okay. Um, actually, Christian science makes an enormous distinction between the spiritual and the material world. Uh, Christian Science scientists deny the reality of the, tr- of the real world. I think this might be a good time for me to recite the scientific statement of being in full. Um, This is really something that's kind of about the same length as the uh, Pledge of Allegiance. And Christian scientists learn this. It's one of the first things that Christian scientists learn in Sunday school. And it goes like this. There's no life, truth, intelligence, or substance in matter. All is infinite mind, and it's infinite manifestation. For God is all in all. Spirit is immortal truth. Matter is mortal error. Spirit is real and eternal. Matter is unreal and temporal. Spirit is God, and man is his image and likeness. Therefore, man is not material, he is spiritual. And to answer your question about healing and Jesus, um, people ask me what makes Christian science Christian, and um, the best way I I can describe what my answer to that is that when I was in in Sunday school, um, the first things that we learned in Sunday school, other than the scientific statement of being, were the Lord's Prayer, the Beatitudes, the uh, Ten Commandments, and um, and so it really does stem from a Judeo-Christian um, uh, theology, but she she um, she takes it kind of off on a tangent, in my opinion. Any other questions? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, there are, uh, every week there are two services. There's a Wednesday evening testimony meeting um, where people, after, after a reading from the Bible and science and health and a hymn, people are invited to stand up and give uh, testimonies of Christian science healing. And on Sundays there is uh, an hour-long service where the, um, the Bible lesson is read by a first and a second reader. Uh, the Christian, Christian Science Church does not have clergy. Um, They have a first and second reader who are elected by the the branch congregation. Um, Interestingly, the first reader reads science and health, and the second reader reads the Bible, which I think gives you an idea of the priority, maybe. It's a subtle distinction, but it's one that I noticed. Uh, Yes, we were. In fact, in most respects, we were a very mainstream family. Um, We went to regular schools. Uh, Christian scientists go to public schools, go to private schools, go to uh, non-religious boarding schools, um, go to Christian science schools. I spent three years at a Christian science boarding school in London, outside of London, England, and my brother did too. My sister was also there for three years, and she spent um, two years at a Christian Science boarding school um, in uh, outside of St. Louis as well.
0: Yes? My grandmother on my mother's side was a practitioner.
1: After she had a and she went to school. It was fine in the family, but it was awkward because her husband was a to Hmm. Thank you very much. Um, I I will be the first to admit that there were some aspects of my upbringing that were very positive. Um, this notion of man's God-given perfection really meant that in my, in my family I was never led to believe that there was anything I could not achieve. Um, my parents felt that the two most important things they could give their children were Christian science and a first-rate education. And I don't think they ever dreamed that one might cancel out the other. (laughs) Yes? Uh, The question is, what if somebody broke a bone? Um, Christian science makes a distinction between uh, a mechanical situation and an organic one. So um, Christian scientists are free to have bones set. Uh, they're free to go to the dentist, which, which actually I find kind of interesting because at one point Mary Baker Eddy was married to a dentist, so I wondered if that had anything to do with it. Um, I can tell you that there are a lot of Christian scientists who d- do not get Novocaine when they have their teeth drilled. My father was one of them. Um, in terms of um, my own experience with a broken bone, um, I was playing uh, dodgeball in school when I was in fourth grade, and I. Um, I, I tried bravely to catch the ball and I'm I'm kind of a klutz. And um um I I hurt my my pinky and it swelled up and um I went to the nurse and she sent me home. And um I didn't get to put a splint on it and I I didn't even get to put ice on it and it hurt like hell for a very, very long time. But eventually it got better and I remember standing up and giving a testimony about it. Um, about my beautiful healing in Christian science. And, and you know, actually, I have to say to this day, um, I have my, my, my right finger is actually slightly shorter than my left finger, and it's swollen, and, it, and it's um, arthritic. And, you know, I, I consider myself very fortunate that it was my finger that broke and not my leg, because I've heard from Christian scientists for whom... Um, I got a letter very early on after my book came out from a woman who, um, her parents were divorced, her mother was a Christian scientist. She broke her leg. Her mother and a practitioner tried to heal it um, for four or five days. Her father came in and inter- intervened and brought her to the to the hospital and they had to re-break it and set it. And it was, um, she said it was just unbelievably painful and traumatic. Yes? yes Um yes there was um, uh, Mary Baker Eddy spoke a lot about um the Catholic Church uh very negatively. Um I I can't speak to that too much right now but I can tell you there's um some there's a great book called um God's Perfect Child uh written by a woman named um, is it Ann Fraser and it it goes into great detail about uh, Mary Baker Eddy's life and the history of the church and um and the the publishing society, and also the legacy of the church um, in terms of individual children's lives and families' lives. That that's, rings true to what I've heard from other people as well. Uh, yes, in the back. i so to believe that there are any Christian scientists today. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the uh, numbers, the Christian Science Church does not publish its numbers um, uh, so you have to do some sleuthing to try to figure out what 's going on, but it you know it doesn 't take a lot of sleuthing if you go into churches and see um, the pews are not very full. Um, if you look at the Christian Science journal you'll see that where they list Christian science practitioners and teachers and churches and reading rooms, um, the numbers of listings are way down. Uh, Christian science churches and reading rooms are being sold and uh, or moving to... You know, Christian science churches and reading rooms um, have some phenomenal real estate. And this really harkens back to their heyday um, when the church had a lot of money and a lot of power and... Um, And influence, and so even to this day, um, in New York City, for instance, um, there are churches on uh, Park Avenue, Central Park West. Um, There's a reading room on seventy seventh seventy seventh and Madison. I also just drove by today. um, I think it's the first Church of Christ Scientist in Baltimore, and it's a beautiful, beautiful edifice. Anybody can walk in there open to the public and, um, and Christian scientists do not proselytize. So in fact, if you were to go into a reading room, it would be a, a pretty benign experience. I don't it wouldn't be at all threatening. Um, they have Christian science literature for sale and to borrow. Um, they usually in the in the storefront they'll have an open Bible in science and health and um, Christian scientists, Um, each week when they they mark their lesson, and they typically use, or used to anyway when I was growing up, but I still see this when I go by Christian Science Reading Rooms, they'll take blue chalk and they will um, highlight or or, uh, bracket mark the the excerpts that you're supposed to read for the lesson. So um, Christian scientists will go into a reading room to read the lesson. If... um, you know, if they don't read it at home during the day, and it is really its um, most public outreach um, vehicle. Um, it, it w- actually, I, that's not quite true. Now, probably its most public uh, public public re- relations um, vehicle would be their websites. And if you were to go look at their websites, um, one is called spirituality and the other, is, I think, christianscience.com dot um, These are beautiful websites and every person pictured in in the website is vibrant and healthy and happy looking and um, they, they will have links to people who give testimonies of healings. A, a very, very impressive uh, website. And the other, I, I should also say that the Christian Science Monitor which is a well respected and deservedly so uh, international newspaper um is it, it really lends uh uh an image of legitimacy to this religion mm-hmm. uh, you Oh, you should read it. It's a fabulous uh, newspaper. In fact, there's only one religious article in each issue. Um, The rest of it is very um, unbiased, um, very good reportage. Um, In order to write, to be a reporter or a stringer for the monitor, you do not have to be a Christian scientist. To be an editor, you have to be a member of the church. Mm Mm-hmm. Certainly. There, um, there is a spectrum of, of adherence. Uh, my parents uh, clearly fell towards the more extreme um, uh, end of, of the spectrum, but um, they are by no means extremists, or were not extremists in the church. Um, my father was journalistic. He was not a member of a splinter group. He was highly regarded in the church. Um, and what they ter- what they call radical reliance on healing is an absolute uh, standard of the Christian Science faith. Probably um, having marriages where one one spouse is a Christian Scientist and the other is a non-Christian Scientist has um, helped the church survive till now. It has also helped the children survive because when things turn bad, the non-Christian Scientist can step in and um, and in many cases save a life yeah this is a, a very good question um uh let me hold up so um this is a this is a photograph uh this was a, actually a christmas card of my family growing up and uh when my brother sherman was about this age um my parents took him to the pediatrician and uh my brother was given a diagnosis of weak ankles and severe asthma and was told that he would never likely lead an active boy's life. So my parents uh, called a Christian science practitioner, and within a matter of days he had a miraculous healing. Uh, I heard this story over and over and over again as a child, and for me it made a lot of sense because I really only saw the second half of the equation, which was... I had this brother who, who was no longer this size, but he was, like, annoyingly fast and um, athletic and showed no evidence of healing, of breathing problems or weak ankles. It wasn't until much later that I questioned why it was that my parents um, called a practitioner instead of getting a second opinion from the doctor, nor did I question the diagnosis itself. As a parent now, I think, what... what is meant by weak ankles and, and, you know, asthma, you know, I, I have two asthmatics and, um, honestly, if, if my kids were having a severe asthma attack, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine not going to a doctor and intervening. It's, it's, we've had complications from asthma. So, um, um, but then there's a larger question, which is, I, I, I think it's fascinating why anybody, um, uh, rejects the faith of their upbringing and sometimes embraces something that's quite extreme in another direction. Um, I don't know that I've ever really fully figured it out. Um, For my father, I think he was um, really searching for something and the church gave him a sense of belonging. And to a certain degree, my mother um, was a product of the 50s and adored my father and just just the other day it occurred to me that maybe there was some special status that she received by, you know, having defected from the medical side. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. Yes.: Yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, towards the end, the, the, there's this, this. Was kind of like a perfect storm in my own family situation. But growing up, I was really not aware of the the degree of acrimony uh, in my family. Um, my, I just had the sense that we were just this very loving, happy family with tons of cousins everywhere. There, I, I do recount uh, the time when I had my ears pierced by my uncle, who was a plastic surgeon, and. Right after I had them pierced, um, I was riding one of my cousin's bicycles, and I went over a bicycle jump, and the the handlebars gave way, and I went headfirst into the concrete. And when I came to, my mother was on one side of me praying, and my uncle was on the other side of me taking my pulse and sort of examining me. And all of a sudden I thought, maybe... You know, this doesn't feel all that comfortable, and um, maybe, maybe most people go to doctors. My grandmother was also there, and she, she asked my uncle if he thought I had a concussion, and I'd never heard the word, and it terrified me. And I, I suspect that if he had had any concern about that, he would have intervened. But I, I don't know. Yes. That's a very good question. Yeah. Yeah, um, the question was, are Christian scientists ever prosecuted for withholding medical care for children? And the answer is yes, um, but it's it's more complicated than that because it, it is a state issue. Um, there are laws on books of, I think, 15 states still that protect parents from criminal prosecution in the case of um, a death of a child due to... Um, Uh, lack of medical care for religious reasons. And um, there's a woman named Rita Rita Swan who started an organization called Child Children's Health Care is a Legal Duty. And she goes literally state by state and lobbies against these laws. And her story is really quite tragic. She, uh, She and her husband were raised as Christian scientists, and they lost their only boy. They have two daughters, but they lost their boy to meningitis. And it was the kind of meningitis that is treatable. Uh, They prayed with a practitioner for four days uh, before finally rushing the baby to the hospital. Once the baby got to the hospital, the practitioner refused to pray for the child. And the the swans were um, pretty much uh, excommunicated from their branch church. Uh, it was a result of this loss that she um, started fighting for the repeal of these religious exemption laws. Uh, no, uh, Mary Baker Eddy believes that death is an illusion, just like um, the like this is an illusion. So so when my mother, um, I, I, I say in the book that when my mother didn't die, um, she, we had a memorial service for her, but because there um, are no clergy in the Christian Science Church and because the Christian Science Church does not celebrate the major milestones of, of, of life, of birth, of marriage, and death, um, our memorial service for my mother was uh, held in a Baptist church, and um, there were no eulogies, there were readings from the Bible and science and health, and there was really no reference to my mother's life at all. Yes? Did your father attend? Uh, yes, he attended. It, he, he planned the, the ceremony. It was, um, it was kind of, it, it followed a very uh, sort of a boilerplate, uh, format for a Christian Science service. It, I, it, I don't think there is actually a, a format for a Christian Science memorial service. But in terms of the readings from the Bible and the science and health and the hymns that we sang, it was all. It, it could have just been a a a, a Sunday service. Um, no, my my father passed away, and um, uh, I. I could not have published this book while he was living um well in part because i <laughs> it took me so long to write it it wouldn't have been it wasn't done while he was still alive but um uh, you know people read my book and they are so outraged by and enraged by what happened um that and and they're very um they're very i understand their anger and their rage, but he's still my father and um Actually, I'd like to just share one little vignette or, or remem- remembrance. Um, my father, as a practitioner, every day used to, um, in his office, he had a Selectric typewriter, and he used to take these four by six index cards and uh, make a list of everybody that he was praying for by their initials. And he started with his own FHE and then my mother's JJE, and he went down a list, including uh, all of his children. And then these um, sort of anonymous people that we didn't know anything about, but there were usually seven or eight um, people at the bottom of this list. But as as the day went on, I, I would sometimes sneak into his room and see where he was at on his list, and and he would take a red felt tip marker and make a little check after everybody when he was done praying for them. And so you know, I, I carry that memory with me because. Despite you know, in spite of everything that happened, I I do feel that he uh, he loved me and he and he loved his children and and my mother. He he did. Um, although at some point he um, well, I don't I don't know if anybody. Wants to, doesn't want to know what happens in the rest of the book, just go <laughs> la 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 la. Um, but he, uh, without giving it away, he, he was a practitioner um, till close to the end, um, but he, le- he at some point was no longer listed in the journal. And I don't know if that was by his own doing or if he was uh, kind of moved out. Um, I suspect that my mother's death was a blemish on his resume. Um, Neither of my siblings are Christian scientists. Um, My brother and I are very, very close. My sister and I are, um, you know, geography kind of um, keeps us separate. And also, people have different ways of dealing with trauma. And I think for my sister, it was easier to just kind of remove herself from the family. Um, I I think in addition, um, the, the publishing of the book has been hardest on her. Um, she said um, to me that my we we had three sets of parents, and her memories of this loving family were not her memories. And um, I, I put that in the book because I think it's true that that everybody has a different experience of growing up in a family. So, anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming. You've been a really wonderful audience.